Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, my name is Rachel, and my official role at the church is Director of Student Ministries, so I work primarily with our 6th through 12th graders, but I'm happy to be with all ages this morning and to get to look at the Word with you, um, finish out our summer series. So I want to tell you about a lunch I had a few years ago with a college professor who had made a big impact on me. Um, I had asked her to lunch, just wanted to hear from her, get some wisdom from her. And over the course of the lunch, we talked about many things, but one of them was the differences that she could see in students today versus college students 20 years ago when I was one of her students. And I was asking her what she thought brought about these differences. I think I expected her to say something like technology, that smartphones had really changed things, or that parents were parenting really differently, but she didn't mention any of those things. Um, what she said completely surprised me. She said, they have forgotten about heaven. So her answer really struck me, and it really stuck with me, and I've wrestled with it, and I think that she's right. I think that college students today, but probably people from every age bracket, we've largely forgotten about heaven. Um, and I guess in some ways I have too. I'm, I've been excited about heaven for myself, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I think I had failed to recognize that we as Christians aren't talking much about what comes after this life. And I hadn't realized the negative impact it has on us when we get so caught up in today that we forget that this life that we're living on this earth and these bodies is not all there is. Um, what, what is 80 to 100 years when you compare it to eternity? It's a mist, it's a vapor, like scripture tells us. And I do think we are spending a lot more time talking and thinking about this life than the one that comes next. We are forgetting that there is something much, much better that is coming for those who follow Jesus. So this summer, our sermon series has been called Then Sings My Soul. We've been talking about some of the classic hymns and spiritual songs that have shaped generations of Christians. And the verse that we have centered our conversation around is Colossians 3.16. It says, the word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your heart. We have looked at the way songs teach us, the way songs can get the word of Christ down deep in us so it's living in us. And the verse tells us that songs can actually warn us or advise us. And the type of songs I wanna to talk to you about today are what I'm gonna call heaven songs. I think the great spiritual songs we've talked about all summer and the ones we'll talk about today would warn us not to forget about heaven. So one of the things I love about hymns is that they tend to tell the whole story of faith. We start with a verse that's about Jesus, and then usually there's a verse that tells us how we should live this life, and usually the song ends with a verse that's about heaven. So I want you to think about some of the famous hymns you know. Let's start with Amazing Grace. Can you think of the last verse? Any, any hymn trivia people in here? If you, if you know it, you can say it with me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. All right, what about it as well? I'll give you a second. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. 
The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. All right, let's do one more just for fun. How great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Those verses, they just like fill me up. Those make me feel really good. And we have some beautiful contemporary worship songs that point our hearts toward heavens. We sang some of those this morning and our band does a great job of bringing us the full story in our songs. But there are some songs that are just about heaven from start to finish. Um, And they are so important to help us not to forget what's coming next. So I want us to focus in on one of those songs that's all about heaven today. It's called, When We All Get to Heaven. And it was written by Eliza Hewitt. She lived in Philadelphia in the late 1800s. She was a public school teacher, and she also taught um, Sunday school in her church. She actually was the Sunday school superintendent, and I don't know what that means, but it sounds very important. So I think we should be very impressed with her. She um, wrote dozens of hymns that are familiar today, but over the course of her life, she wrote thousands of hymns. And she wrote hymns because she um, used them to supplement her teaching. She knew that um, hymns do, songs and hymns have this way of getting down deep in us so we carry it around with us like our scripture says. So I've tried to use this approach in my teaching as well. This summer I spent two weeks at church camp. The first week was with middle schoolers at a camp called Mix. The second week was with our high schoolers at a camp called Move. And the central verse for both weeks was Galatians 2.20. That says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is not an easy verse, but I memorized it when I was a teenager because there was this song that went along with it that helped it um, get down deep in my heart and make it hard to forget. So the tune is a little old fashioned and I warned the students the song was a little bit jaunty. So jaunty had to become the vocabulary word of the week because apparently they don't say jaunty on TikTok right now. So anyway, I knew the song wasn't cool, but I knew the kids would have a, a better chance of learning that verse and keeping it with them if they learned a song about it than even from the messages they heard from speakers or our conversations in small groups. So the students humored me and we sang it over and over again all week so that it could live in them richly, like Colossians 3 says. So I want you to imagine my joy last Sunday when Pastor Mark is speaking and he throws Galatians 2.20 up on the screen and I see multiple pairs of students' eyes cut over to me. They remembered. And one of them leaned over and sang it to her dad mid-service. So I knew this had worked, you know? So I'm hoping that Eliza's teaching method will work for us today. I'm hoping that we can take a song she wrote 100 years ago and it can help us remember heaven. It can warn us against forgetting about what's coming next and help us get excited about it. So I told you that I am personally excited about heaven and um, my kids have interpreted my excitement as a weak will to live at times. Um, (laughs) They get alarmed if we're watching a zombie apocalypse type of movie and I just say, "Uh, I'll let the zombies get me and go be with Jesus. Like that's a lot of effort to stay alive. So, you know, I don't like that. And then if I see the end of the world type things where you've got to have a six month supply of canned goods and water built up, I'm like, 
I don't need the extra six months, you know? So this scares my kids, but I promise you, it, it's not a weak will to live. I just believe what the people who've had a glimpse of heaven have to say about it. So there's at least two people in scripture that had a vision of heaven. Um, one of those is Jesus's disciple, John. And he wrote the book of Revelation after this vision, describing for us what he saw when he saw the new heaven and the new earth. And he did the best job a human can do in taking something pretty hard to describe and putting it into words. So we'll read some of those words today. Um, but what I want to look at right now is his response. He saw this vision and he said, come Lord Jesus. He saw what was coming and he said, I'm ready. Let's start living this eternity right now. It looks really good to me. Another follower of Jesus who had a vision of heaven was Paul. And Paul didn't get the same permission that John did to share all of the details. So we don't have a book like Revelation that Paul wrote, but we do have from Paul's other words, the proof that he was eager to get there. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 1, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul had a job that God had given him to do on earth, but he was torn because he wanted to depart and be with Jesus because he said it was better by far. Not a little bit better, guys, better by far. He was ready to be there. But I think some of us have a hard time believing that heaven will be better than what we're experiencing right now. Um, every year, we take a group of students through the confirmation process, and that's a very intentional time of teaching the basics of the Christian faith, and we always talk about heaven during that process. And every year, multiple students tell me that the idea of eternity or heaven feels kind of frightening or weird to them. And I can understand that. Thinking about the concept of heaven can make your head hurt. I actually tell them, if your head doesn't hurt a little bit, you're probably not really thinking about it hard enough. So like, dig in. But even though it stretches the bounds of our human minds to think about eternity, we don't need to be afraid or think it's going to be boring or think it's, it's not something we're looking forward to. If we let the word of Christ live in us richly, we meditate on what scripture has to tell us about the new heaven and the new earth, um, and then we use our spiritual imaginations to picture ourselves there and this good thing that God has prepared for us, um, I think it's all really good news and we're gonna get excited about it. So today, I want us to look at the verses of when we all get to heaven and look at the biblical truths that Eliza Hewitt weaved into the song and I think it's gonna be good for us, help us remember the good thing God has prepared. So in the first verse, Eliza opens with, seeing the wondrous love of Jesus, seeing his mercy and his grace, in the mansions, bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. So she starts with a promise straight from the mouth of Jesus in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So let's start with how well Jesus knows us. He knows that when we start thinking about not being on this earth anymore and eternity, we can get nervous. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
And then he starts describing the place that he's going to prepare for us. You know, my father's house has many rooms. Or the version of the Bible that Eliza would have been reading in the 1800s would have probably said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. One of the reasons we might fear heaven or think it would be boring is because we've been picturing heaven more like what cartoons and movies have told us it will be than what God has told us in his word. So, you know, this is the image that I think we often get from contemporary culture, right? So it's kind of hard for us to get excited to be disembodied spirits floating around playing harps in the clouds. Like, nothing about this life has prepared us to want that, right? Um, But... I don't think that's the picture of heaven that God is giving us in his word. So we mistakenly imagine heaven as less real than this earth. But the new heaven and the new earth are every bit as real and physical as this world is. In fact, they are more real, which is kind of hard for us to comprehend. But there are multiple places in scripture that describe what we have on earth as copies or shadows of the real thing in heaven. Um, There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So heaven is not the shadow of earth. Earth is the shadow of heaven. The more real thing, the eternal thing, is what is coming next. And Jesus here is talking about houses and rooms, uh, places we can live, things we can understand. Other verses describe heaven as a city Um, or a garden, or a kingdom, places where we eat and we drink and we have relationships with other people, things that we can understand and relate to. In his book, The Revelation Record, Dr. Henry Morris talks about this portion in Revelation where an angel gives the dimensions of the heavenly city to John. And Dr. Morris calculates them mathematically, and he says that the heavenly city stretches from Canada to Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rockies. And here's where it gets very interesting. uh, The dimensions say that the city is as tall as it is wide and long. So he calculates that there's enough room in the heavenly city for 20 billion residents to each have their own 75-acre cube, mansion, house, whatever you would want to call it. And there'd still be room left over for some public parks and some streets and buildings. So... I think if we are supposed to take those measurements literally, the message is heaven is a really large place. And if we are meant to take um, those measurements figuratively, I think the figurative message would be heaven is a really large place. So any way you want to look at it, what God is preparing for us um, is real, it's large, he's making a place for all of us. So the creator God who fashioned this gigantic earth And he filled it with fascinating things like tropical rainforests and deserts and mountain ranges and prairies. And he, you know, fit some surprises in there like mountains on the ocean floor and caves with cathedral ceilings. So do we think when he reveals the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be less impressive than what we already have? I don't think so. I don't think so. So Revelations, um, John describes the new heaven and the new earth like this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So this scripture says that the new heaven and the new earth are being prepared as a bride. And there's no day that we take more care in our preparations and in our appearance than on our wedding day. So I know when God reveals the new heaven and the new earth, he will have taken that kind of of care in preparing it for us. Jesus told his followers 2,000 years ago, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm really excited to see what he's been working on for the last two millennia, right? So in the second verse, Eliza changes gears a little bit, and she writes, while we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. So she's acknowledging the reality that while we are walking this earth and we're on the journey to the place that God is preparing for us, there will be hard days. I told you that Eliza was a public school teacher. Her career actually ended very early because a student hit her with a slate and gave her a very serious spinal injury that left her bedridden for several years. And then throughout her life, there would be times that injury would send her back to bed. Um, So she knew about suffering and disappointment And it was from this bed where she wrote many of the hymns that have enriched the souls of so many Christians. So in the midst of her suffering, she was looking forward to the time when traveling days would be over, where she would be at home with the Lord, and there would be no more shadows and no more sighing. The verse we looked at just a a moment ago that says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When you are troubled when you are sighing, you can apply these truths to the things of this world that you will rejoice to be rid of. So for Eliza, she might have been saying, there will be no more days stuck in this bed. There will be no more days where my back hurts. There will be no more days when students are so troubled that they hit teachers. And when I look around our church family, I can think of some of the things that we all will rejoice to be rid of. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more anxiety or depression. There will be no more addiction. There will be no more broken relationships. There will be no more times where I fail, even though I've tried so hard. And of course, it's, it's even bigger than that. It's global. There will be no more war. There will be no more poverty. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more human trafficking. All of the ugly and broken things that wound the image of God in each of us, there will be no more of those things. God said, I am making everything new. So I believe what is coming is similar to what we're experiencing now, but without the effects of sin. So at the very beginning of our story in Genesis 3, where we see sin enter the world, that's when a curse comes on people and it comes on the whole earth. Humans lose the Garden of Eden, the paradise where God walked with us, and the world worked as it was intended and designed to do. But John saw at the end of the story a new heaven and a new earth, and he tells the beautiful ending that God is writing to this story of the human existence, the way God will redeem all of the pain and all of the suffering. So in the very last chapter of the Bible, uh, Revelations 22, this is what we hear. 
and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, the heavenly city, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. This is the happy ending to our story that all of us long for. There will be no more curse. In the new heaven and the new earth, God and people are together again, just as they were in the beginning and as we were intended to be. Jesus has taken care of the sin that was separating us from God, and we will reign forever and ever. That part of the verse shocks me. We, his servants, will reign with him forever and ever. So I want you to think about it. There's no more curse. We're with the one who loves us, who we love in return, and will reign forever and ever. This is the true, and they lived happily ever after, that we have all been hoping for. It's coming. God wrote it. So this seems like a good place to stop a sermon, I know, but there's two more verses, so we're just going to keep rolling, okay? (laughs) Verse 3 says, let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. So if heaven is amazing and we're supposed to be excited about getting there, how should we live this time that we have on earth? Eliza says, Knowing what is coming should cause us to be true and to be faithful to God. She says it should inspire us to trust God and serve God every day. She would never understand the concept of a Christian who is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase? That wouldn't make sense to her at all. She says our response to heaven and thinking about it should be our faithfulness to God that will result in this world being a better place that looks more like the one to come. So through the hardships that we might um, encounter in life, through the sacrifices we will choose to make as a response to our faith in God, even through our suffering, we would live like God asks us to, because just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. I want you to look back to the verses we just read in Revelation 22. Um, They're bolded in verse 4, it says, and they shall see his face. If you heard Pastor Mark's sermon last week, he told us the story from Exodus where Moses asked God, can I see your glory? Show me your glory. And God told him, no one can see my face and live. But all of that changes in eternity. It says we will see his face. Our wonderful, beautiful Savior, the one before whom every knee will feel compelled to bow when we behold him, we will see him. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I don't think there will be anything more wonderful in eternity than knowing God fully as he fully knows us. We will have all of eternity to appreciate and marvel at the depths of his riches and his understanding and his love things that were beyond our comprehension on earth, he will reveal to us then. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So this is what Eliza is saying. Just one glimpse of Jesus will repay all the suffering that we have endured here on earth. For every time I've been sad, For every time you have been discouraged or alone or in pain, 
for every loss we have sustained, for every grief we've had to carry, for every tear that we have cried. We will see him, and we won't even be able to compare our hardships when we see the glory. I don't fully understand that, but I believe it, and I'm looking forward to it. So this brings me to the last verse. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. We don't need to walk this earth forgetting about heaven. We need to press on towards the prize. The pearly gates, the streets of gold, the mansions, and so much more are our prize. Um, Jesus called heaven paradise. In one of his parables, he told his followers, enter into your father's joy. In another one, he told his um, servants, enter into your reward. So if Jesus considers heaven a prize and a reward in paradise, we need to be looking forward to it. Um, heaven is the prize at the end of the race. It's a prize that Jesus won for us. Heaven is his prize, it's his reward, and yet he's so generous and loving, he wants to share it all with us. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. So enough talking about it, we want to sing it. So this is not a song that's meant to be sung sitting down. So if you're able, please stand up, and we're gonna sing this with hearts full of joy. Oh 